I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti-Hero's Journey Podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need. And get 10% off with the code, all caps, FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10 to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. What's up, all you anti-heroes out there? Doc Askins coming at you with another one of my Q5 podcasts. It's where I ask my five favorite questions to some of my favorite people out there. And today I've got Andrew Toy, who is a man who needs no batteries. He's an author, marketer, and a podcaster. He's the creator of the podcasts Life Through the Big Screen, Hollywood Horrors, and Toying with Faith. Andrew, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today, my friend. Thank you, sir. It's great to be here. Well, we're going to get the ball rolling here with question number one. What is your story? Yeah, so I'll give you uh, the nutshell version as much as I can. So I was born with a congenital heart disease. I won't get into the science of that because in no way am I a doctor or a scientist. My wife still has to go to the appointments with me to basically translate to me what they're telling me. (laughs) I I can't tell you what the hell they've done to me. I I have no idea. But At any rate, what I do know is basically the weaker artery is working harder than yours is, and the stronger artery is basically just taking a lifelong retirement process, all right? And so that caught up to me, and I'll get back to that in a second, but that's just kind of lay the groundwork. My background as a kid, Doc, is kind of like yours. I was raised in a Christian home. I don't know if you were on, I don't know what side of the financial line you were on. We were very wealthy. Money was never an issue. So I was, I was a spoiled, rich, conservative kid, you know, but I didn't know that. That was just all I knew. That was his life. And so I was taught basically that if you go to church, you vote Republican and, you know, you, you do those, you do those two things, you're going to end up being very wealthy and you're going to end up being just fine in life. No problems, no questions asked. Notice who's missing out of that equation. Starts with a J. All right. So Jesus wasn't a giant part. Yes, the religion and you know, yes, everything was was revolved around him, but he wasn't really necessary. You know, you you had to be a, you know, you had to be a Bush follower, vote for Reagan, you know, all this stuff. That was very important. And obviously, don't sleep around, don't do drugs, all that stuff. And so not unlike a lot of people, I ended up when I got married, everything just fell apart. And, you know, I lost a great gig out on the West Coast. We had to move here to Louisville. I'm a newlywed trying to figure all this out. And I ended up working the last decade at just these blue collar jobs, jobs that I were taught were beneath me. But then lo and behold, you learn 
no one really chooses this lifestyle. There are very few people that choose it. And there's nothing wrong with it at all in any way. You do what you've got to do to support your family, to even just support yourself. And of course, with recession that we've been facing the last couple of years now, it's getting harder and harder to do so. We can all agree that the middle class is all but extinct. Basically, that was all a very huge and rude awakening for me. It's like, what? I went to, I've been going to church, yet I'm suffering and I don't have my dream job because I'm this white Christian guy. Come on, you know, because that was just embedded in me. I'll go ahead and tell a story just to kind of give a little bit of a background of what I, the ideology that I was growing up with. I was out in Southern California and our school was mostly made up of Mexican kids. And I don't remember seeing much of a difference between anybody. That's not like a, you know, a pat on my back. That's just, that never bothered me. I just thought people were always cool. So I had one kid come over. He was a Mexican kid to play in the backyard. And I was told that he needed to go home because he was going to be a bad influence on me for no other reason than that. But, you know, all the white kids in the neighborhood could come and stay and play for as long as they wanted. So that was the background that I grew up with. And such a shame, too. Because all the friendships we miss out on as kids, as adults, because we have these, you know, racial lines drawn between us, just the stupidest thing. Anyway, to get back to just, that was what happened. Everything fell apart for me. And suddenly it was like, oh, well, I did everything I was supposed to. I didn't sleep around for, well, actually I did, but you know, I claimed not to sleep around. I did stay away from drugs. I did stay away from drinking. And it's a good thing because I have a very addictive personality. Uh, so I would have been in a whole other mess of trouble if I'd got into that. But it was like, I, you know, I, I went to church and it's like, well, obviously none of these things are doing any good. And that's when you just start turning your back on God. And it's like everything I was taught growing up became a lie. And, you know, I talked to pastors at the church, like the good ones, you know, you, you look back and there were, you realize there were bad ones and there were good ones. And, you know, you reach out to the good ones and you have very deep conversations about the church with them. And it's interesting because they'll be like, yeah, I saw a lot of that health and wealth gospel being preached and whatnot. So that's been kind of fun in the last year, reaching out to people from my past the reason I was doing that was because I almost made it 40 years before I had any issues with my heart. Suddenly, I'm starting to get very sick. My lungs are filling up with fluid. All this crap is happening. I have no energy. And so obviously, they said, you know what? We need to go in and have open heart surgery. And it took about a year. Before, I won't get into politics of, of why that happened, but it took a year of me basically just dying waiting to get a uh, find a doctor to do um, dextrocardia and I have all these other things. Dextrocardia means that all my organs are backwards from everybody else. So that means that sometimes everyone else is left-handed and you're right-handed in a, yep. instead of being the lefty in the right-handed world, you got it in the heart. Uh, exactly. Maybe in the left-handed world. That's crazy. Yeah. And so the joke was growing up was, you know, place your right hand over your heart, except you, Andy, you got to, you know, do your left hand. <laughs> yeah, that's so, yeah. And, uh, you know, I would talk backwards to the nurses sometimes just to throw them off. So that's just like kind of the tip of the iceberg as to what is going on with my anatomy. It's very backwards. In fact, I'll even share this too, to show that it actually has saved my life. 
So I'm prone to blood clots in my leg. And, you know, for listeners, I don't know, blood clots are, you get a blood clot, you have that thing in there long enough, you're dead. You know, that's basically the, the gist of it. It's a clot of blood cells that clump together and they travel up. And when they reach your heart or your brain, you're dead. No questions asked, no warning whatsoever. Anyway, I had a blood clot in my leg for a very long time, abnormally long. And it turned out the veins in my, the, my upper leg were so rewired and crisscrossed from anybody else that it blocked that clot from getting up to my heart. And I'll never forget being going to the emergency room and, and the nurse was doing the ultrasound on me and she looks over at me and she goes, how are you still alive right now? Because that thing was so big and was trying to get through so badly to my heart. So it was kind of a, all these ways I could have died, especially with the surgery coming up. The doctor told us. It's kind of like you had a goalie where everybody else had an open net. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's a great way of putting it. It's just bizarre. And I didn't ask for it. That's just the way I was made. And then with the surgery, they needed to go in, do some very precise work. And the, the doctor told us, he's like, you need to have your will written out. You need to say all your goodbyes. This is probably the end of the road for you. If you survive, you're going to have some sort of disability. A spoiler alert, you're looking at me here. I, I can stand up and walk around. I am able to move about yeah. and I survived this thing. They said it was supposed to be a six hour surgery. It took 17 plus hours. <laughs> and you can only imagine how bad my back hurt waking up from that. That was <laughs> yeah. lay, laying uh, yeah. that long on a flat board. That was the worst part was the back pain coming the out of it. best back pain of your entire life, right? Oh, oh, it's just back pain? Thank you, it, Jesus. There was just that. Yeah. Well, and thirst. Uh, I remember thirst. this is a, yeah, this yeah, is a pretty uh, intense moment. I remember, I don't remember any of the recovery. My wife swears that I was in tons of pain, but I don't remember it. Thank the Lord. But I do remember opening my eyes for the first time and the room was dark and the nurses, they must've just been like waiting on batted breath to, you know, is watching me because the moment I opened my eyes, I see these heads come into my vision and they just started working on me. I don't know what they were doing, but my mouth was like just open, ah, dry as sandpaper. It's because I had a breathing tube stuck down my throat and I don't think I would wish that on any of my worst enemies because you can't talk. And that's not the worst part. Not only are you dying of thirst, but you, so take a deep breath and then let it out. You got to tell yourself to take those breaths. You got to be in control of that breath. That breathing tube does all the work for you. So you're trying to take in a breath when you feel like you need it. Nothing's going in. You have to wait for that machine to kick in on its own accord. And it is torture. It is like constantly waiting to exhale. Yeah, it was the worst. And I remember I needed two things. Apparently, I just thought I had one hand because I only used one hand to communicate. I held up the number three. I'm doing a three right now. I was trying to communicate. I needed water and I needed my wife. I could have done this. Two hands, but it would have looked like Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> right, right. You know, it would have made them even more confused. So they were throwing out all sorts of, they're trying to figure out what I was saying. Three, what, what do you need mean? three of? You uh, only have two kids, you know? And then they were like, warfarin, because that's the blood, the blood thinner w, I'm on. Yeah, yeah. Finally, they figured it out. As soon as they said wife, my wife walked into the room. I saw her, held her hand. Boom, I was out. I went straight to sleep. Oh, wow. And so the thirst was taken care of in that regard. But 
at any rate, so that happened just May 2nd. So that was about four, four months ago, going on four and a half months. I cut my physical therapy short because I was so, well, <laughs> I told you about the, the interview I had. I, I lost my job because, because I needed this heart surgery. So they didn't want to wait around for me to recover. So they, they cut me out of the job, which was my dream job. That was devastating. Talk about depression. And then you're facing this surgery. That was just depression on, upon depression. We had just bought a house. We had to cancel that contract. Just all sorts of terrible things all in one clump. Oh, and it was Christmas time. And so my poor wife, my four kids had to travel this depression, this dark time with me. But I was just telling you before we recorded, one of the interviews I had for a job, they told me that I was too ambitious. Well, this is how ambitious I am was that I cut my physical therapy in half because I was already running laps while they're just having me do jumping jacks. You know, so it's like, I don't really need this anymore. I'm, I'm doing well beyond what you guys are asking me because I pushed myself really far. don't need any batteries, right? Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that's my story. I, it's a story, I think, of perseverance and it's what I'm kind of going through now while I'm just, you know, I have come back to God. I did come back to him. And if I hadn't, I would have never gone to the doctor and never known that I needed surgery, probably would have been dead. You know, my wife and kids saved me in so many ways because my wife chose to forgive me all my stupid actions that I took. I tried so hard to end our marriage and to walk out on the family. I tried so hard, but God kept pursuing me and I ended up just finally giving in. I had nothing else to I had nothing else going for me. And I gave in and actually gave my life to God instead of, you know, my parents or the church saying, yeah, you're a Christian because you raised your hand at church one day and, you know, hey, behold, you are saved. You know, I don't believe in that sort of, I believe it works for some people, but I think for the majority, it does not. It's just you're acting on a, on an emotion for that one night. Yeah. Your beliefs have to be authentically yours to make any effect in your life, right? Absolutely. Strategic Navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. Wow, that's a crazy story, man. I appreciate you sharing that much with us. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. And that brings us, you know, up to date to some extent, but I want to ask you next about, you know, what are your intentions? Where are you headed? Yeah, I love that question. So I'm in a situation, if you're not a Christian and I'm speaking to your listeners, if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard your Christian friends talk about the silence of God. And I am going through that right now. And it is very difficult, but also on the flip side, it's kind of amazing because well, I'm an adrenaline kind of junkie guy. I love stunt planes, roller coasters, you name it. Oh, I want to share this too. So before I was let go from my dream job, they flew us out to Arizona. They had us all ride on, on stunt planes. Now, I didn't know it at the time. I was still very sick. I knew I had to have surgery, but I was, I medically speaking, I should have been hooked up to IVs in an ICU. But I wanted to go on that stunt plane and I did. 
I had my Fitbit on and I kept checking my heart rate. I stayed at an even 95 the whole time. And we're doing top gun crap, man. I'm telling you, we're doing barrel rolls. We're nose diving toward the earth and pulling up. We're doing all the stunts you see in those movies. And I, I checked in at 95 heart rate. It was amazing. And I'll tell you this. I, when I get stressed or overwhelmed now, I have to just take a minute and I call what's going into airplane mode. Uh Oh, I like it. I like it. I see where this is going. I like it a lot. Go, go, go. What happened was when you get strapped into the plane, they have these, oh shit bars. Because when you're, when you get up in the air and they start, what do they call them? The RPMs or the mock, you start hitting mock four or mock six. You're going to grab those bars and yell, oh shit. (laughs) Okay. And then you got your puke bag. Most people grab their puke bags. A lot of people pass out. As we no were, choice at some level. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, 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 it's amazing. As we were ascending the, the earth and flying over the Las Vegas strip, I took my hands and I folded them on my lap. And I said, I'm not going to touch those bars. I am just going to enjoy this. Because, you know, if we end up going, because the real fear, it, unless you're like prone to like, you know, upset stomach and nausea, the real fear really is something going wrong with the plane or you know, you don't pull up in time and, you know, you explode in a ball of flames. That's the real fear, you know, skydiving. I haven't done that yet, but I plan on it. The only fear for me anyway, is going to be, is that chute going to open up or not? You know, otherwise, what are you scared of? You're in a freaking stunt plane. Only like 3% of the population get to experience that. Jeez, just relax and enjoy it. And so that was just kind of my attitude. Uh, I love it. It's the best attitude in the world. (laughs) That's why now when I get overwhelmed and stressed, I just got to go into airplane mode because I am so much more at peace up doing barrel rolls at, you know, however many miles per hour than I am dealing with the kids sometimes. It's incredible. So anyway, you asked me what my intentions are, where I'm at. I'm dealing with the silence of God. And it's causing me to do all sorts of things that out of desperation that I normally wouldn't do. I just signed up to go on a men's retreat with my group this weekend. That's the last place on earth I want to be, but I'm that desperate to hear God or to have God send somebody to me with what am I supposed to do? So what am I doing in the interim as I'm waiting to hear back from all these companies that I've applied to that I've been ghosted or I'm never going to hear from again? I'm doing these podcasts. Because I want to tell my story. I want to tell my story through Toying with Faith. That's my Christian podcast. I love writing suspense stories. So I did a uh, started a Hollywood Horrors, which is for kids and families. It's Goosebumps style. You remember Goosebumps? Yeah, R.L. Stein, baby. Yeah, except instead of like kids finding like a vampire or something, these are kids getting sucked into our favorite Hollywood movies and they have to survive them to get back home. I so like I just, I like yeah, I just lot. completed the first season where the kids go to Jaws and they yes! have to survive. Yes, <laughs> that's like my favorite. Oh my god, yes, I gotta go yeah. check this out. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a blast. It's a lot of fun. I had so much fun writing it. I'm working on the second season, and then my other one is Life Through the Big Screen. I started that a year or so ago. That's where I do what you're doing. I have people come on and talk to me about their favorite movies. I love doing that. That's incorporating all three of my my loves, if you will into three separate shows. And I kind of feel like I'm pretty damn good at it, despite the fact that I don't have a studio or an office. 
I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw you were posting on Facebook about what your current process is uh, around recording three separate podcasts, man. That's intense. Yeah. I see where, I see where, you know, the proof's in the pudding there. Like you're, you're not just talking the talk. You're definitely leaning forward and running this thing like the Energizer Bunny. Right. And it's, and it's like, you know, to bring it back to God for just a second, it's like, I'm learning to ask him, get my numbers up on these podcasts to show me that this is what I'm supposed to do. But if this isn't what you want me to do, then show me, you know, I will drop it in a heartbeat to do what you want me to do. I don't care what it is. And so that's kind of what's been happening is like this, this stripping of pride and misplaced ambition and so on. And it's like, cause I have so many layers to work through. It's not even funny. Like we all do, but I am willing to dig deep and figure out what the hell am I supposed to do in my next step? You know, and if he ends up wanting me to, you know, plunge toilets, I, I hope that's not the case. But if he wants me to and he gives me a clear directive, then I'll, I'll do it. You know, what's the point of running against God when he's going to win in the end anyway? Sounds like the end of the book of Job to me a little bit. Yeah, very much. I'm pretty much at my wits end. And yeah, I've literally have, I, I literally have nothing at this point. You know, we have a house that we were ready to move out of in 2019, but talk about obstacles. And, you know, I could spend two hours just talking about the obstacles we faced and we're still in this house. You know, uh, it's just been, it's been a nightmare, but it's also been, uh, it's brought us closer, you know, and I'll admit when I did first get out of surgery, I went to a really dark place because I expected, you know, to wake up from the surgery, get better and somebody will offer me a job. You know, it's four months later and that just hasn't happened. And so I've had to come out of that dark place without the crutch of a yeah. job offer. That's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. You called it the silence of God, right? Job goes yes, on sir. and on and on for almost 40 chapters of uh, arguing with his friends and arguing with the sky before the whirlwind shows up, right? Yeah. It's one of those things where you hear the phrase and it just doesn't sound that bad, but when you're actually in it, and experiencing it, it's frustrating. You know, I'm very blunt when I talk to God. I talk to him the way I'm talking to you. I'll throw in some bad words. I sell some dirty jokes. You know, it's just because, it, like, why hide that from me? He knows who you are. He made you that way. I, I hate the notion of when everybody comes together in prayer, you know, all jokes have to stop and we have to bow our heads and fold our hands and it has to be dead serious. You know, it's just weird. It's a weird, like, shift. Yes, I understand that we come to him with, you know, reverence. I get that completely, but he also wants, you know, my kid, my kids don't come to me and, you know, say, Oh father, you know, can you please make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Oh, alpha male father. No, they're like, they'll interrupt me in the middle of work and say, dad, make me a sandwich. By the way, don't fart while you're in the kitchen. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> and why can't we have that same relationship with God? Just, he knows us. Why do we, put on a separate face when we are to come as yeah, we are. I think that's very insightful. You know, we talked a bit about the past for you, your story, and a bit about the directions that you're going in, that you're kind of in this holding pattern in airplane mode, waiting for the whirlwind to show up. In the meantime, I'll ask people often about gratefulness because I think gratefulness is how we make our way between the past and the future. So what are you grateful for? I am grateful for the time I have now with my wife and kids. 
I'll tell you when I was in the hospital, I, I, you know, I didn't know if I'd be waking up the next morning. You get real, you get real close to God and you get real intimate with Jesus and you start thinking everything over. You know, one, one of my, you, you, you go through this whole process of is what I believe real. And then you might not have that figured out, but it all comes back to faith. I have to believe what I believe is real. And it, again, it's one of those things that's also layered that takes you down rabbit hole after rabbit hole, because when you think you're going to die, when you've been told that you're probably going to die in a surgery, you, you start to really dig deep into what you believe and what is this afterlife going to be? And, you know, what, what's it going to look like when I open my eyes in death and, you know, am I going to be scared? Is it going to be comforting? You know, and you start to just kind of, you have to remember that before you were born, you didn't worry about your life. You didn't worry about what it's going to like to come through that canal. It just happened. And you're here now. And I, and I think most people would say, yeah, it's been a rough ride, but I made it, you know, nothing, nothing was alien or uncomfortable. Everything happens slowly in progression. We get used to something and then we progress to the next. And it's like, so if, if birth wasn't that big of a deal, then why do I fear death? You know? And so suddenly I just didn't care if I died or not. I say that even right now with, I, I, I don't care. I would invite a meteor to crash into this house. I would be fine with it. I don't mind because I had the gift of knowing what it's like to be about to die. Yeah. That is a gift. Yeah. I'm not scared. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not scared. It's amazing. Yeah. You know? And then with this whole unemployment thing, I'm getting so much time with my wife and kids. Now, granted, I'm constantly buried at the computer and, editing and recording and, you know, doing three different shows, not getting paid for it. But it's like, I, I still am able to joke around with them if I want to. Yesterday, I just went for a walk and the kids went, went with me in the middle of the day because I have that luxury, that ability, you know? And so I'm grateful for the time I have with my kids and my wife. And I get to make up for a lot of lost time that I actively tried to pursue when I was trying to run out of my family, like a total douchebag. There's a lot of wisdom there. That's a lot of insight in the things that you're grateful for in this uh, silence of God period here. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, again, it's so cliche, but you've got to look for the positives in every negative that th that's thrown your way. There's good in everything. There is. And we have had some of the worst, I'd say, five years that a nuclear modern family can experience outside of, we haven't had a death, but we were ready for it. You know, short of anybody dying in our family, we've endeared, I want, I want to say most things that people actively try to avoid in their lives to keep their lives comfortable and cushiony and whatnot. But there's been a lot of good things that's come out of the bad. So with all of that gratefulness, what are you creating? Stories. You know, you get down to a point where you just say, all right, I've applied to all these jobs 
some of them I'm not qualified for some of them I'm overqualified for, you know, there's, you know, and I look and I say, what do I want to do? Screw what all these, you know, uh, recruiters and hiring managers screw what they say about me. They don't get a vote. I'll, I'll ask, I'll apply. But at the end of the day, they don't get a vote to tell me what I am or am not good at what I am or am not qualified to do. I'm qualified to tell stories and to make podcasts because I learned that on my own. I figured it out. I put in all the work and I have a passion for entertaining people and for telling my story so that others can learn from me and not make the same stupid mistakes I've made. Are they going to listen? No, but at least they'll have that voice in their head because I didn't listen to anybody. <laughs> no one does. That's part of life. You don't listen to people. You do. You only hear them after the fact. And so you ask what I'm creating. It's those three podcasts. I'm creating those, putting those in the world because I love doing it. And hopefully one day I can monetize and get something out of it. But I'm focusing very hard on making sure I put something out into the world that's good and beneficial first. Well, I'm definitely going to check those podcasts out. They sound super interesting to me. Even if even if I didn't know you and even if I didn't like you, Andrew, I'd check those podcasts out for sure. I appreciate that. Yeah. So given your story and your intentions and your gratefulness and all the things that you're creating and all this storytelling that you're doing and all the beautiful things that you're weaving right now with your family and with the podcasts and with your near-death experiences... But if we, if we scratch down as far as we can below all of those things, who are you really, Andrew Toy? I would say I am a wannabe comedian. I want to be the funny guy, but I'm not. I have learned that I'm not. I, you know, so on one of the shows, one of the podcasts, I tried you know, writing out the scripts. And it's like, I can, I can write the jokes, but I can't deliver them. I can't. <laughs> you know, my timing and my delivery are just awful. Yeah, and yeah. so I've had to learn. And even when I was going through a very dark period, I tried being a stand-up comedian. Oh, and yeah? uh, as fun as that is, I just can't, I don't have that. I'm just not gifted in that way. So I am, I am a wannabe comedian. You're making me laugh right now for what it's worth. <laughs> uh, you know, but what my wife has always said, you're only funny when you're not trying to be. And so I wasn't trying to be just now. She's right. <laughs> uh, but Your wife am, sounds very wise too. Oh my gosh. She's amazing. She's so cool. I am a husband trying to learn how to be a romantic. I did not have that modeled for me. And quite frankly, all the romance stuff makes me feel very gross and weird. So I'm trying to work past that. You know, I have a lot of ideas of what a man should be. And, you know, I'm still working through all that. There's one thing knowing it, you know, you can watch Braveheart and say that man was a romantic. He stood for his values but it's a whole different thing to be that or to apply it to your life. So that's something else. And then I, I, I am, I am a ridiculous dad who only wants good and funny memories for my kids. Uh, I guess that's part of the wannabe comedian coming out, you know, but that's through all the stress that we've gone through and all the heartache and the loss and frustrations. I want my kids to be able to look at me at the end of the day and say, you know what? He didn't, he had bad days. Yeah, he had he threw a temper every now and then. You know, he's got a bit of an edge, but when you package him and look at him as a whole, he's a damn funny guy who laughs at everything bad that happens 
And he's still going to go around and try to make me laugh and try to make me feel better because I don't believe the world is going to get any easier for our kids down the line. I pity our kids preemptively. So, but they are going to have to have somebody to look back on who also went through hard times, but didn't just crawl in a corner and give up. It's really all for the kids. It's really all for them. It comes, you know, they need to know that there is no reason to give up. You give up, what do you have going for you? I, I have, like I said, I have 300 applications out, out there. What if somebody picks one up one day randomly? It's like, hey, gives me a call. Hey, no more podcasting. Cool, I got my, my you know, but I don't know what would happen at that point. But I would be willing to give them up if, you know, I'm getting a, a nice salary. Yeah, Who if, knows? The, <laughs> if the whirlwind gives you a sign, you'll follow it. Exactly. I'll, I'll go wherever he wants me to. And I just, he has, it's frustrating praying the same prayer over and over, but I believe there's a verse. I couldn't tell you where it's at, but there's, there's, there's a verse I think in the Bible that talks about being very persistent with God, bother him with your requests. He, he's weird. He likes that. I don't get it. The parable of the persistent widow, right? She goes to the judge and just keeps bothering the shit out of him until he gives her what she wants. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good parable. Yeah, I agree. And that's just. I'm just. I've been so stripped down. That's just all I am now. There's nothing else. It's beautiful to see. Somehow there's uh, there's joy in it and there's beauty in it. I know it's hard. And I know you've been through a lot. I'm glad you were willing to come on the podcast here and take a few minutes and share your story with me. Yeah, I can't thank you enough for inviting me. This is the first time I've been a, a guest on somebody else's show, and it's it's really fun to experience the other side of the camera. Well, I'm glad you took the time to come on, brother. You got any final thoughts for the audience? You know, I don't. I hope that everything I said had enough, you know, humor and nuggets of wisdom. Or I, you know, call it wisdom. It's not wisdom come from me. It's just my thoughts, but I hope that what I said provided something for everybody that's listening. It was perfect, brother. Thank you so much. Doc out.